Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Noah Fleming, author of The Customer Loyalty Loop, the science behind creating great experiences and lasting impressions. And you, you, my friend, are listening to the fabulous The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2017 this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is the one event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. You will leave the conference with all the materials you need to take a content marketing strategy back to your team and to implement a content marketing plan that will grow your business. To register and get the best price, do two things. First, go to marketingbookpodcast.com and click on the Content Marketing World banner, Make sure to go through marketingbookpodcast.com so they'll know I sent you. Seriously, there's a bottle of scotch in it for me for everyone who registers through marketingbookpodcast.com. Then, for the lowest price, when you register, make sure to use promo code marketingbook and they'll knock $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details after the interview. Today, we welcome Noah Fleming back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his latest book, The Customer Loyalty Loop, the science behind creating great experiences and lasting impressions. Noah is the author of Evergreen, Cultivate the Enduring Customer Loyalty that Keeps Your Business Thriving. That book made three separate number one category rankings on Amazon, including sales, marketing, and customer service. Noah is a marketing expert, keynoter, and consultant in marketing, particularly customer loyalty. He's coached and consulted to thousands of business owners, executives, individuals to help them maximize customer value, which not surprisingly has then led them to increase sales and profits dramatically. Noah has written for Fast Company Magazine, among others, and has been routinely quoted in publications like Forbes, The New York Times, Reuters, and more. Noah, Congratulations on the customer loyalty loop and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. I am glad to join the ranks of people that made it back for a second round. Yes, it's a small group. <laughs> you are the second Canadian. Scott Stratton is the other one. Oh, that's Scott. He's always got one leg up on me. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a very competitive guy. But Noah, I, I love the way you write. I really enjoyed reading this book. I really enjoyed your first book, Evergreen. As I sometimes say, you write so much better than you have to. And I, my theory is that it must be the Fleming name. Are you related to James Bond creator Ian Fleming? <laughs> 
How did you know? No, I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, you could kind of go with that. It you know adds a little danger and flair to your your reputation. So now you have a son, don't you? No, I've got two girls. I've got a I've got a six year old and a four year old who are going crazy these days. Okay, well, I I, I was going to say for some reason I thought you had a son. I was wondering if you named him Ian. <sighs> if you have one, just think about that. So all right. It'll be very memorable. But enough parenting advice for me. Let me open with just a quick excerpt, and then we'll get into the questions. I've got lots of them, and we won't have time for all of them. The core philosophy of this book is pretty simple. Instead of spending the bulk of your time, energy, and resources in new customer acquisition, you should invest heavily in ensuring you're doing whatever you can to deliver an amazing, remarkable, and most important of all, memorable customer experience. So let's talk just for a moment about your first book, Evergreen, as a jumping off point. And you mentioned in that book that most companies spend the bulk of their time chasing new customers at the expense of building deeper and more profitable relationships with their existing customers. Why do companies do that? And why is it not a good idea? Well, yeah, that was the big theme of the first book, which which is that we're running around like crazy, you know, rabid animals trying to get the next person in the door at the expense of taking care of who we've got. So in that book, I equated it to this addiction. We're addicted. We're addicted to sales. We're addicted to marketing because it's the sexy side of business. Whereas, say it, the, say it Noah. We're addicted to sex. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're addicted to we're addicted to sex. We're addicted to the sexy, glitzy marketing. The results, the you know, the actions we can take. Whereas retention, if somebody comes in and says, "Hey, now we're going to focus on retaining our customers," you know, it's kind of boring because one, nobody ever tells us how to actually do that. Two, how do we actually make it fun and sexy? And then three, how do we actually drive results through that? So we get we get hooked on the sexy side, and to me, it's a big problem. Now, you mentioned that there have been a lot of books in the last couple of years talking about concepts of loving your customers. You can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes and hugging your customers. And you've read lots of them. What's the problem you have with a number of them? Well, so first of all, they're all great books and I have read most of them, but I have two problems with most of the books in that space. The first one is they all tell us that, you know, these books are going to help us dramatically keep our customers longer. We're going to increase profits. But they do that by telling us, you know, well, hug your customers and just be happy. And here's some customer service tips. They tell us we're going to increase the value of our customers. But what they don't actually show us is how to do those things proactively, pragmatically, tactically, usefully. And so I think they're lacking in a lot of respects. And, you know, I say that with all due respect, they're all great books. They give us some powerful tools to deflate it to deflate a customer when they're unhappy or to deal with a customer unhappiness where I'm saying, you know, let's figure out things from the get-go. Let's figure out how to actually make the existing customer five times more valuable instead of just saying, you know, it's five times more valuable to keep your existing customers than it is to get a new one. That's all fine and dandy, but they never actually show us how to do that. And so all of my work is about, all the work I do with companies and clients is about how do we actually do those things instead of just saying them because they sound good. Yeah, that's true. There's there's nothing harmful or bad. I mean, if people do what's in all the other books, I think it'll be a big improvement. But I think it's Rather than writing a book about how to empty out your flooding basement, why don't we just rebuild the foundation so it doesn't flood so much? 
Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And, you know, so it's easy to say, let's just do things like Zappos does, right? Let's just bend over backwards and do whatever it takes to keep the customer happy. Well, that's not how it works in the real world. It's not how it works for most companies. And in fact, you know, the Zappos way isn't the right way for the majority of companies. There's a better way. You have to figure out what works for you. And again, we were talking before we actually started the interview, just knowing how to respond does nothing. Like you said, you got to fix the foundation first. And so the bulk of my work is about fixing the foundation and actually understanding how to make the customer more valuable, how to actually increase the lifetime value. So you're not just saying it, right? It's not just enough to say we provide a wow experience or wow service. Let's actually do it and then reap the benefits, reap the rewards from that. Now, again, there's a lot of things in both your books that seem counterintuitive, but I, I really want the listener to, to understand that <laughs> some of these. One of them is you say that the brutal reality is that not only is getting new customers really easy, it's often quite harmful <laughs> if done incorrectly. Why, why is that? Well, this annoys a lot of people that I'm saying this. This annoys a lot of people that I'm actually going around saying, now, you know, one of the easiest things we do these days is get a customer. We've gotten so good at it because we spend so much time in sales and marketing, in conversions, in writing better copy, in targeting and retargeting and remarketing. And so getting a customer for most people, is actually not the most expensive, most challenging, most difficult thing we do anymore. It's actually keeping them. So, you know, I was talking to a coaching client just before we got on the phone. He owns a franchise and he said the franchise is so good at marketing, he can snap his fingers and they can give him a hundred new customers just like that. They can drive them through the door. They turn on the machine, they get the retargeting going, they get the, the targeted ads going and boom, just like that, he's got them. The problem is that it can be harmful because it can be too fast, too much, not the right process in place to actually keep them. So yeah, he can spend the money. He can get 100 customers in his door. But if he can't service them, if he doesn't have the process in place to take care of them, to retain them, to again, actually increase their value, to show them a great experience, then you know it's a loss. And, and companies are just running around driving as many new people in as they can without actually thinking, again, how do we keep them? How do we keep them happy? What do we need to fix in our foundation to keep these customers for the long haul? Yeah. It's like, welcome to our business. You're now a customer. Here's a megaphone. If people <laughs> would yeah. think about handing a megaphone to every new customer, they'd realize the power they have. But you mentioned that word of mouth, which is normally a you know good thing, sometimes can be a very negative. I mean, can good word of mouth sometimes be a very negative thing? Well, yeah. Let me give you a, a harsh example for your for your listeners. Word of mouth is something that I believe is just like sales, just like marketing, just like retention, just like referrals. You need a process for it. So again, some companies like Zappos might get the, you know, the organic word of mouth. Some companies do get the organic word of mouth. But if your organic word of mouth is all members from, you know, the Ku Klux Klan furring their buddies, or, you know, then it's not good word of mouth. And so if you can control who your customers are, if you can control the type of customers you want to attract, if you can put processes in place to encourage word of mouth, encourage referrals, then you have a much better chance of actually having those have an impact. You don't want, you know, like uh, that was an extreme example, but 
the, the wrong customers referring the wrong types of customers and driving them to your business is, again, it's just a failure. And it's a failure. You'll, you won't be able to retain them. You won't be able to keep them because they're not the right customers in the first place. Now, in the book, you talk quite a bit about experience. I think there's been at least a dozen books on the show, really fantastic books about engineering a great customer experience. But you say it's one thing to create an experience for your customers, but it's yet another to create a memorable experience. So explain the difference and why a memorable experience is actually more important than just a good experience. Sure. So I might lead into some of your other questions here. I don't know what those are, but I'm gonna. That I'm was gonna my break, last question. <laughs> I'm gonna break it down a little bit. Please, here. You know, please do. Yeah. In in the customer loyalty loop, what I the the big core message I'm trying to give here is everything's an experience. So it's not an experience once the customer gives you money. And a lot of those books, a lot of the other experts, a lot of the people, they focus on this again, this finite time between once a customer signs on the dotted line and once you've delivered their products and services. And again, as you know from my first book and other work, I always take things a step further. But now I wanted to take a step back and go, well, what happens before that? So now we've got this entire loop, this entire thing happening where the customer experiencing. So the first time I hear about you through branding, through sales, through marketing, through advertising, through driving down the street and seeing your building or seeing your work site, I'm having an experience. Once I call you, I'm starting to experience. If I go on your website, I'm experiencing. And so now I'm looking at, okay, how do we actually make the whole experience, the holistic experience as positive, as meaningful as memorable as possible, how do we reduce the problems that are going to impact us from keeping our customers later? And how do we do that very early on? So again, it's really just about looking at the entire experience as the whole experience, because they're always experiencing. So I give the example again, I'm driving down the street, there's a construction site not too far from my my house where they're building a number of houses. There's a number of different builders involved. One of the builders, his job sites are extremely clean. They're well organized. There's, you know, there's scrap wood that's piled nicely. There's a portable, what is it, a portable toilet that, you know, it actually looks like it's in place. It's on a pallet. Everything sits there nicely. And then you see another builder where the place is just a total disaster. There's, uh, there's you know, piles of scrap everywhere. There's garbage. There's buckets. There's workers hanging around, you know, sitting in the back of their truck. They've got loud music blaring. Well, what's happening there? I'm experiencing with both of those companies. And both of those things have an impact on, one, not just am I going to engage in this experience and ha- do business with them, but two, how long are you going to keep me after the fact? And the reality is that first business probably doesn't even have a shot at getting me, regardless of price, regardless of however they try and get me. You know, that experience has already impacted me. So that's sort of the first part of it. And now we've got them. Now we need to create memorable experiences. So let's say then you've you said, okay, well, I want to go with that builder, the one that seems to be really squared away. Yeah. Well, you, you know, they, I gave uh, it, You have a house, but pretend you're going to build another. <laughs> well, well, you know, there's actually a great example of this in the end of the book, which you oh, probably yeah, read, yeah. which, which mm-hmm. was a very true story about a contract. Was it really? It almost, well, <laughs> it almost seemed 
<laughs> no, I'm sure it was true, but it was like it nicely tied together the book. Well, it's look, it's it's a little bit embellished, okay? You know, he, he might not have been as as clear cut and as polished as I made it out to be, but it was certainly better than the others. And the story goes essentially, you know, this guy delivers on the entire customer loyalty loop throughout the entire experience when others couldn't. When I reached out to a number of contractors and they all took forever to get back to me. You know, well, some of them never. Some responded. of them never responded. One responded six months later, and in the book I say, you know, if you're going to respond to a customer six months later, you're better off not responding. Just don't, you know, just shut it down. Don't even do it. But your guy, I think you said he got back to you in 90 he minutes. He got back to me in 90 minutes, and he didn't immediately go for the jugular in terms of trying to sell me. In fact, let me interrupt. There was one part that was very significant to me. He said, look, there's a number of guys in town that are going to be good. Mm-hmm. Let me explain to you what to look for when hiring a company like ours. That's right. That's right. I mean, and and again, you, you kind of have to read the customer loyalty loop to understand the different stages of the loop. But this guy, I mean, he nailed it. And then the most interesting thing, you know, one day, months after the work is done, I'm looking outside and there he is, right? <laughs> Inspecting the work, looking at it. He's at my house, the truck's out front. I go out and we have a conversation. And then of course, he goes into the next stages, which for him, it might've been a referral request or a testimonial request. Well, you had sent a bunch of business his way. I think he thanked you. Well, again, you know, it was it was the right type of word of mouth that came through. And so just it was a fantastic example to me that it was plain as day of something so simple, so easy to deliver this truly memorable, remarkable customer experience without actually not doing much more except, you know, just being consistently good in what he was doing. He didn't have to be great. He just had to be consistently good and do the things that I expected him to do. And that was it. And as a person who reads a lot of marketing books, for this example, I would like to thank you for not using Apple, Amazon, Netflix, (laughs) or, or Zappos as that wrap-up. That was like a real-world example. But let's talk a bit more about memory, because that was a big takeaway for me, is that you talk about that it's not really the customer experiences that create a customer for life, but it's it's their memory of the experience. Well, it's, it's a little hard to break down. I mean, there's even anticipated memories. So, so th- I mean, this is a weird concept. What is an anticipated memory? Well, it turns out I'm having dinner with Dr. Robert Cialdini at an event, who's the author of Influence and Persuasion, probably the most you know prolific author in this in this space. And this is about two years ago. And we start talking about what he's working on, what I'm working on. And he tells me he's working on this book called Persuasion. Yeah, it's, he's been on the podcast. Right, where, where you know, he's thinking about how do we persuade before we persuade. Interesting enough, I'm writing this book at the same time, asking myself, how is the customer experiencing before they've actually done business with us? You know, what's really happening in that marketing stage that's creating this, this memory? And so when we book a trip, uh, when we plan to go on a trip, we, we start looking, we start imagining ourselves of what that experience is going to be like. And, you know, sometimes if we get there and the experience doesn't live up to what we expected, then again, we have a retention problem. We will have a loyalty problem. We will have a problem getting that customer back. So it's important to recognize in those early stages that the memories, the anticipated delivery of products and services that you create, you offer, you show, you sure as, you sure as heck better live up to those once you've got them there because then you've got, you've got a problem and that's the expectations gap. And so we can break, we can break the process of customer retention before we've even really had a chance to try and get them back 
because we've already missed the boat in the first stage. So does that does that make sense to you, Doug? Yeah, I think that the thing that was so surprising is that people are just saying, is it a good experience? Is it a good experience? But are they actually going to remember it? And you talk about peak and ending, how the best experience during there and then how something ends actually has an enormous effect on their memory. Yeah, well, there was... Of an there was the great study, which I actually wrote about in both books, which was the Dr. Uh, Seligman study on colonoscopies. And, you know, it's, it's worth reading, but it, it explained that the way an experience ends really determines how likely they are to engage in that experience with you again. So the way my experience ended with that, with that builder, the way my experience ends at a restaurant. So here's an example that I think your listeners will be able to understand. You can go to a restaurant and you can have the most amazing meal. You can have the most incredible service. And then what happens when you're trying to pay your bill? You get in an argument with the hostess over whatever. That will jade your entire memory of that experience. No longer do you care about the great food you had. No longer do you remember really about the great service. The only thing that you remember is that horrible ending. Think about a great vacation where you know, you've got seven days of wonderful experiences, but then the last day, something happens that sets you off. What does the customer remember? Well, there's a ton of psychology, a ton of science, a ton of interesting studies that I talk about in the book, which show you that the thing that they remember is the way the experience starts and the way the experience ends. Now, in those things like peak end rule and all these things, you know, we can create moments in between that will have an impact. And we talk about some of those. But I mean, again, if, if you're to take anything, and you're going to ask me this question later, if you're to take anything away from this interview, remember about how your experiences start and how they end is so important in your customer experience. Yes, great advice. Hey, let's take a quick detour here because you mentioned Dr. Cialdini. And again, I had the honor of interviewing him about his book, Persuasion. First book he wrote solo in 30 years, definitely worth the wait. But in your book and in probably his book, Influence, has been mentioned in more books out of, I don't know, 125 or so that have been on this show than any other book. And can you explain why it's so important? Maybe this is for the for the younger kids out there, but why it's so important to read his book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. And, and one thing, I, and I'm glad you brought him back up, because when I said I was having dinner with him, you know, that's, that's a little bodacious. I wasn't just having dinner with Dr. Cialdini. I was, at, I was at an event, it was Alan Weiss's thought leadership event, and Dr. Cialdini was the guest amongst about 10 or 12, maybe 15 consultants. So it was, you know, was really a great dinner experience with him, but we were at this great event. Here he was. And so there's two important things there. One, it's important to attend, for the younger folks, it's important to attend events. For the kids out it's there. It's important to attend events and things like that where you can surround yourselves with these people and these peers. But two, why should you read Influence, the, the Psychology of Persuasion, or Persu I think I'm getting that right. Why should you read this book? Well, because it's probably the most influential book in sales and marketing in the past 30 or 40 years in, in, in a number of fields. You know, I said this when I spoke at an event and a number of people got up in arms about it. But I said, if you're in sales and marketing and you haven't read Influence, then you can't be taken seriously. You really can't. And it, it's kind of shocking to say that to somebody. And there's a few other books that probably go on that list. Hopefully Evergreen will one day be on there or the customer loyalty loop. But you know, you, you, you really can't take somebody seriously if they haven't read this 
influential, powerful piece of information. And these concepts... It's mentioned in every sales book. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just a marketing No, thing. I mean, you, you have to read it. So again, you know, just hang up this interview or podcast. Pa- uh, hit pause on your... Uh- <laughs> On your MB3 player. And, and, and right. go get it, because I want to take you seriously. Absolutely. I, and you mentioned in your book that, and you said at one point you were doing a keynote, and you said that, and a bunch of phones came out and people started ordering it. And I was like, good. Yeah. You know, first off, if they're at an event and they're listening to you speak, they're thinking they're probably pretty motivated people. They're probably like some of these really smart people to listen to this show. You know, hey, opposites attract. And they're really interested in learning and, and, and being more successful. So thank you for that brief detour. <laughs> into Dr. Cialdini's book. Of course, since I've read the book, I, I want to talk about some things that just really got me excited. Mm-hmm. And one of them is where you said, and I almost want to carve this in stone, it's, it's about understanding your customer. And again, I know I sound like a broken record for the uh, listeners that have been listening to the show, but companies know a lot less about their customers than they think they do. And you said, almost always, we find that people know more about the people they watch on television after work than the people they are charged with serving on a daily basis. Talk about the importance of this and and what your experience has been. You know, this kind of came out, I'm actually working on a third book right now with a co-author, a guy named Sean Beltman, and him and I were working on, he was at my first Evergreen Summit event. And, you know, we were kind of talking the night before about this idea of the importance of knowing your customer and how we read this in every marketing book and every sales book. And and everybody says it's so important and everybody believes that. And so we... But there's a lot of lip service. Well, so, you know, so we thought, what would be an interesting way to test this? And we came up with this really unique idea, which we call the Walter White Workshop. And essentially, I asked everybody to take out a piece of paper and spend you know, five minutes writing everything they knew about their favorite TV character. And so it became known as the Walter White character because this was at a time when Breaking Bad was big. And, you know, at least six people in the room, Walter White was their character. Well, they wrote the most detailed, incredible descriptions about Walter that you would ever imagine. You know, what kind of car he drives, what his favorite clothes are, what kinds of shoes he wears, what his kids' names were, where he worked, what challenges he had in life, all these great things about him. And so this went on. You know, we had other examples, too. And they shared these, and that was great. And then I said, okay, now I want you to flip the piece of paper over. And I asked one simple question. And I said, now spend the next three to four minutes writing that same narrative about your customer, your ideal customer. And you would not believe how people sat there and couldn't write a darn thing. And so that was illustrative to me in one sense to do it at my event. But then I started to take this workshop and do it with actual consulting clients, actual sales organizations, or marketing teams, or customer-facing people, and the same thing all the time. And you know, I would see CEOs and presidents shaking in their boots that, that here's my marketing people that have a budget of X millions of dollars per year that are marketing to attract, that are marketing to get, salespeople that are talking to customers every day, and we don't know a darn thing about them. And to me, it was just so illustrative. It's such a powerful exercise. So if you want to do something fun with your people, do this exercise, see what sort of results you get, and hopefully you you won't be like those other CEOs I've had that are literally shaking, going, oh my gosh, we've got a big problem here. Well, but that's good. Maybe they understand it. And full disclosure, we do workshops for clients, get them started on their content marketing. And obviously, a big part of it is understanding the customer. We're stealing this. <laughs> we are going to add this. And, and actually, there was another uh, author from the Great White North, Jamie Shanks, who was on the show recently. And there was something else in his book. I said, Jamie, I'm stealing that idea. <laughs> he was thrilled. So anyway, 
we want to do buyer persona interviews where we want to do these interviews very much along the lines of Adele Ravella's book, Buyer Personas. And we do them and we come back almost every time and there's a little bit of a disconnect between what the client was telling us and what their customers told us. And honestly, this is what's surprising. Sometimes they look at us as if we've been speaking to the burning bush, you know? I just think it's so interesting. You know, they're they're working hard, they're busy, they're solving problems, but they're really they're very familiar with what the customer's challenges might be after they've contacted the company, but they're really more often than not at a loss for what's going on in that customer's world before they engage or talk to the to the company. And you know, this goes back to what you were asking me earlier about this idea of bad word of mouth or, you know, this is a this is the thing. You can't retain a customer if it's the wrong customer. So if your marketing people don't actually know really who you're trying to attract or really who is the ideal customer that fits this business. Again, I was just talking as I mentioned this coaching client I was talking to, you know, we're talking about attrition issues. And one of the thing is, well, are the attrition issues, the loss of customers really the right customers or perhaps have we been bringing in a few of the wrong customers? And that's a big question to ask yourself because you're not going to keep, you know, you're not going to keep the wrong guy or the wrong gal around that just doesn't fit the profile of your company, doesn't fit. And we talked about this in Evergreen, that sort of, you know, the, the corporate character and the customer archetype, do they match? Do they gel? Are they telling each other a, a similar story? Are they able to have a conversation, you know, to be incredibly vague like most business authors? And so, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I had a client years ago, or we first talked to them, and they said, well, tell me about your customers. They said, well, I'll tell you who are, about our customers, but first let me tell you about the, the customers we want. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was interesting, because in other words, they said, yeah, these are who we want, but this is who we want more of. So let me ask you to define what preemptive marketing is. Sure. So preemptive marketing is a concept. It's a term that I have stolen or borrowed from the great Jay Abraham, which you know I give full credit to in, in the books. And he wrote about this concept about preemptive marketing, You know that everybody has an opportunity in business to preempt all of your competitors. You can preempt by having a competitive advantage that's unlike any other. You can preempt by, you know, th- simply doing a little bit more boast boasting about yourself but really getting out there and implanting in the customer's mind who you are from a very early stage that you are the preeminent the sole the top provider the top business producer the person that they want to deal with now we took this a step further in the loyalty loop and said you know how can we preempt by actually implanting these memories? What can we do? What can the science tell us to actually, you know, really create some positive associations about your business or who you are before the customer actually does business with you? I think, you know, Jay's terminology here of preemptive marketing and being able to preempt the competition is just such a powerful concept. And, and it puts you at a level above everybody else when you're able to do this. Yeah, it's a great concept. And I really appreciated hearing about it. Okay. Now, here's another question that's going to upset some people. But <laughs> I feel like we're upsetting a lot of people here. <laughs> well, if they're still listening, they're going to be glad. Noah Fleming, explain what you mean when you say that leads are worthless. Leads are worthless. You know, I can give anybody a thousand leads today. Now, this used to be easier to say 10 years ago when I could pick up the phone book and give you, you know, 20,000 leads. But leads have no value unless 
you know, now I'm putting on my Glengarry, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin cap, unless you are able to close the business. But more importantly, we need to take that a step further and take them to this point of happily ever after. A lead that you convert into business one time, but could have been converted into business 10 times, 20 times, it has a little bit of value, but not as much if you're able to take it that step further. But just getting leads to your website, just getting leads to call you means nothing unless you can take them to those next stages. And again, I think, I truly believe You've wasted such a great opportunity if you're able to get a lead to that next stage, to the point of signing a deal with you, to the point of having a great experience, and then having nothing in place to follow up, nothing in place to retain them, nothing in place to sell to them again, to get a testimonial, to create a case study, to get a referral, to increase your word of mouth. You know, such a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Unless you go like to a trade show and they're selling cars. If you want to see leads are worthless, dramatized, <laughs> look for somebody who has a sign up or something where you can win a car <laughs> or something, a trip to Hawaii. And unless you're a company that sells trips to Hawaii, <laughs> you're generating a lot of leads Almost all of them. Well, and, and let's just add to the drama here and let's beat on trade shows a little bit more. 90% of companies out there that collect cards, opportunities, leads, whatever at trade shows, it's not just the car selling, they're all worthless because what do they do? They throw you on a mailing list or you, know, you immediately get contacted by some sales rep who's trying to drive you to the sale, to the point of close, when there's work we, that needs to be done. And we talk about this in the loyalty loop as well, this idea of reducing resistance, reducing friction, removing all these things instead of just driving the customer through this process, through this sales funnel, hoping that they pop out the other end, you know, not beaten up badly enough, too bad that you can keep them. And the reality is it doesn't usually work that way. So uh, sometimes you need to slow down. You need to think about what is our process? What happens when we have a lead? What are we doing to make the experience great? What are we doing to set up ourselves for future success for this customer? Are we doing enough in those areas or are we just trying to, again, just, you know, push customers as fast as we can through this thing and hope they pop out the other end and want to do business with us again? There's some companies that can thrive like that and there's some companies that succeed like that. But for the most of us, the, the reality is it doesn't work that way. We need to do a little bit better. So would, it, would my takeaway be accurate that leads might be worthless, but the right leads are not worthless? Oh, <laughs> I mean, in other words, it seems like there's an obsession with leads. And honestly, I do see a lot of companies that are like, just anybody with a pulse. Well, yeah, is that more what you're talking about? No, I, I mean, again, the reality is any one of us can get 100 leads today or tomorrow. It, good leads, mm -hmm. bad leads, anything in between. Just like the franchise client. Yeah, mentioned. I mean, look, we have all the tools at our fingertips to get all of those leads. But unless you have the process in place to move them to the next stage to create, you know, this is now we're talking about marketing 101 type stuff, right? But get them into to be interested, get them engaged. So, yeah, I mean, sure, the right leads have some value, as I mentioned, but you're wasting an opportunity if you don't have the processes in place to keep them in what I call the stage of happily ever after. So if your idea is the right lead, create 
the right type of business, drive them through the door, get the sale, and then move on to the next customer, I think you've wasted a great opportunity. You've yes. wasted a great lead that you've converted. Right. And in the ad business, there were two expressions that come to mind. One was, it was called advertising to an empty shelf. And the other one was, nothing kills a crappy product faster than really great advertising. <laughs> <laughs> so one other question that I think is really, really important. Why do you think it's important for every single person in the company to know what the company's sales process That's is? That's a really good question. The reason I believe that is because these days, in our day and age, everybody has the opportunity in some extent to be the point of contact with the customer, whether it's the janitor, whether it's you know the United Airlines representative at the gate, whoever it is, they should know They should know what your process is for getting a customer, for keeping a customer, for servicing a customer. They should know your core values. They should know the things you stand for. Now, a lot of that starts at the top. We have great examples of this, like Volkswagen, where there was really deceptive things going on, and Wells Fargo, where, you know, these examples where the sales process might have been known, but it was not a good one, and yet it was being perpetuated through the company. So I just think it's important in today's day and age that everybody knows what you stand for, how you work, how you do things. Now, I'm going to use one of those examples here, which I hate using, but it is the Zappos example. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's okay. It was just the last you one. You know, they book. make sure. That, that, you didn't use that Zappos, so that's, that's why I'm, I'm applauding you for using a real, a real world sure. example. Sure. You know, they you. make sure that everybody knows what they exist to do, what the core values are of the company, how they sell, how they service, how they deliver. And so I think it's, it's inexcusable for them not to know. So let me give you one more example here of, of a real world scenario of this. Uh, I was with a client about two or three weeks ago now, and we were at a workshop with their sales team. There was 80 sales reps there, and they did something really interesting. They secret shopped their own company by just calling their receptionist and asking one simple question, which was, you know, do you guys do X, Y, and Z? And every one of these calls failed. Because every one of the calls said, no, we don't do that. And the reality was they did all of those things. Now, there was a lot of chuckles about this. There was a lot of, you know, that was fun. It was cute. I hope there was some nervous laughter. Well, there was nervous laughter when I got up there and I said, you know, to the CEO and the president that you should be shaking in your boots because this is, this is, you know, eight out of 10 times you failed at this in the one week you actually listened to these calls. Right. So so how many millions of dollars are being lost every single day in this company? Because people don't know what's going on. People don't even know what they sell. So, you know, to talk about a sales process, you have to know what you sell. You have to know what you do. You have to routinely ask your people and quiz them on these things and question them uh, and make sure that everybody knows because this was just such a silly example. But it's a lot like the Walter White exercise. All your customer facing people should know what your customers are like and how you know how you act accordingly to them what 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 commonalities can they share about them these are things that everybody should know well said and let me ask one last question that is going to upset people <laughs> to continue the theme here 
Why do you think net promoter scores are worthless? Well, look, this has a lot to do with what I've said earlier. So two things I want to say there. I've sort of jumped on this idea. Well, maybe we should explain what net promoter well, sure. scores so, are. So net promoter score is, I mean, it's it's sort of the de facto customer loyalty scoring mechanism that's been used for the past, I don't know how long, maybe let's say 20, 30 years, developed by you know the great Frederick Reichelt, which, which is essentially, everybody's got these, this simple question that comes after doing business with somebody. You often get these in your inbox now. It says, you know, out of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? Something like that. And, and we answer it and we say, you know, well, uh, probably, probably an eight. And the company gets these results and they go, hey, you know, we're doing well. <laughs> we got 80 to 90% across the board. There's nothing else to be done here. Or the company gets all fours and goes, hey, you know, we've got a problem here. We need to fix this. There's a few big problems here. One, is that Reichel himself has come out and say that the process has really jumped the shark because people game the system. So, you know, I just bought a new car last week. They were all asking me, make sure you give us 10s on our survey score. This is a rampant thing that's happening everywhere. So companies get all 10s. I might have had a grievance tear, but you know what? I kind of like the guy, so I give him a 10 because he asked for it. So Reichel said, MPS has jumped the shark because people are gaming the system. We don't really get meaningful data, meaningful, useful information out of it anymore. But the second reason that it's jumped the shark, and and quite frankly, I believe it hasn't been that useful in a long, long time, is that people do nothing with the scores they've got. So just just because you gave me eight, nines, or tens doesn't mean you're going to refer me or spread word of mouth unless I have a process in place. Again, most of us aren't Zappos. So most of us need referral processes. We need to request word of mouth. We need to actively solicit testimonials. But most companies don't do that. Eight, nines, or tens, we're good to go. Subsequently, even when there's a problem, they typically don't do anything except follow up with a simple question, you know, well, why did you give us a one or why did you give us a two? We'd really like to know. Usually it's automated. Usually it's not really meaningful and the customer never really gets any good feedback from it. So for me, you know, why waste your time? Why waste your money? Don't even do it. You're better off you know, once in a while, having a qualitative discussion with a customer, a customer that's happy, a customer that's left, a customer that's been a customer for a long time. And I do this for a number of my clients. We'll, we'll go out and we'll have just qualitative discussions with a handful of their customers, you know, just to see, to get a gauge of what's really going on out there. It's sad that it's so rare that that happens, but it's really powerful in our experience. So Noah, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, you know, there, there's a common theme in all of my writing, which you, which you know is care for your existing customers. You know, quit running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to get everybody in the doors. Ask yourself how you can increase the value of the customers you have. But I really like what we said earlier. If you could fix one thing from the customer loyalty loop, you know, think about how the experience starts and think about how the experience ends. And then ask yourself, what are we doing to repeat the process, to encourage the loop, to start the process again, to get the customer back? If, if you can put one new thing into place to get the customer back, to try an effort to bring them back in your doors, it's valuable. And so I think if you can just do that, you'll be in a good spot. Yeah, well said. And I just think that from one reader's opinion, there's such simplicity in the book. It's like it's like you didn't add multiple chapters that you didn't need to add. But in that simplicity, it was almost painful <laughs> to, to see like the, the Walter White example or certain other things where you know, we read a lot of these books. It really, it's, it's summed it up nicely. I think it's great for any business owner to read. So are there 
any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading aside aside from your own? <laughs> well, I just kidding. That's <laughs> you know, it's another good question. I try and read, you know, I try and stay abreast of of what's happening in in my space in my industry. So I'm always looking for interesting sales and marketing books. I, I have work with a number of colleagues that write really great books. So I'm often catching up on on what they write. You know, a great book is a, from a friend of mine, a colleague, Colleen Francis. She wrote a great book called Nonstop Sales Boom. I've been working through that right now, which is a great book. Oh, I'll have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, she, and she's a great author. You know, I've, I've got some friends that just write some really unique, powerful books. There was a fantastic book I read recently, which it's not really an upcoming book, but I would recommend. It was a book called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone by... A, oh, yeah, yeah. It's too yeah, yeah. That book. That, yeah, he was on the show. Uh, <laughs> Great book. I love that book. I mean, that book, and again, these are things we inherently know. And, you know, I do some of these things in my own marketing and prospecting efforts. But to me, that book was just so over the top and unique in its perspective. So sometimes a book like that comes along and, you know, just really sort of shakes up your thinking about about sales and marketing and different approaches. So I really like that. Yeah, that was a great one. So, now how best can listeners learn more about you and your new book? Well, so, you know, the the best way is pretty typical to almost everybody else. Uh, they can go to my website, which is noahfleming.com, 1M. I believe that's just like the good old Ian Fleming that you mentioned. It is, I think. <laughs> and, uh, we do our homework here on the Marketing Book Podcast. And then, of course, you know, you can pick up both of my books anywhere you like to buy books. And for most people, that's probably Amazon because they'll have it on your doorstep tomorrow. So... Yeah. At your site, can you say a bit about the Tuesday Tidbits email newsletter? Sure. So this is a great example of something that I do consistently and regularly. And, you know, I, I write one single newsletter every week. It's it's essentially my blog post. It's essentially my thought for the week. You know, there's over 30,000 subscribers. But in, I think it's probably going on about 400 weeks now, I have not missed a week. And so this is the, again, the idea of being consistent in your marketing, being consistent in your experience. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life. You know, there, there might be one day, hopefully not a reason why I can't write it on a Tuesday, but this thing's going out regardless. And if it's not in their inbox by nine or 10 in the morning, they start to email me and say, where is it? And so your customers start to anticipate these things from you. They anticipate what's to come. That's a good spot to be in when your customers are in anticipating your marketing. And can you say uh, briefly a bit about this Evergreen Summit that I guess you started after you published the book Evergreen? I did. So uh, the Evergreen Summit is, is a very small, intimate event that I do once a year. I've been in Toronto the last two years. I think this year it'll probably be somewhere else. But it's just a it's just a powerful theme day. The first year was really focused on Evergreen. The second year was focused on the customer loyalty loop. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to focus on this year. It'll be somewhere somewhere. Well, you need to make it a three-day event for your third There you ball. go. It'll be some... It's actually just a one-day event. And there's no charge for my advice, Thank Noah. you. <laughs> this is a very you know high-class event. We do it at a great property, the Four Seasons or something. And you know this year, we'll do it somewhere, but they can go to theevergreensummit.com. I don't believe I've updated any information there in the past while, but we'll have new information there soon about when that'll be. It'll be sometime in September of October of 2017. Super. The name of the book is The Customer Loyalty Loop, The Science Behind Creating Great Experiences and Lasting Impressions. The author is Noah Fleming. Noah, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me, Doug. 
And that closes the book on episode 125 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And to register for Content Marketing World 2017, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com, click on the Content Marketing World banner so they'll know I sent you, and then, for the very best price, enter promo code MARKETINGBOOK. And please join us next time as we welcome Bernadette Jiwa to the show to talk about her new book, Hunch, Turn Your Everyday Insights into the Next Big Thing. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.